This episode of the Tech on Tap podcast, we talk CDOT migrations with Hadrian Barron of the Migration Team. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. Glenn Sizemore is not here today. He had something better to do. But Andrew Sullivan, we found him. I have returned. Where have you been? I've been in Boston. Feels like the first time? I feel wicked smart. Yeah, I don't I don't think you do. I had lots of lobster. Stop. You're alienating our Bostonian listeners. If Glenn was in here, he'd be very angry at you right now. Probably, yeah. but Glenn's from Boston, so he, well, that's he, why he'd be angry. He at you. gave me, he gave me several excellent restaurant recommendations. Did he? Did he also tell you never to try to use a Bostonian accent? Because he should have. No, pretty much everybody has told me that okay. because I'm terrible at it. I, I speak two languages, right? Bad English and poor English. Yeah, that's about right. Um, cool, good to hear. So, how was Boston? It was beautiful. I uh, I very much enjoyed it. Right, I discovered that Sam Adams produces several beers that are only available in Boston. That was quite the treat. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, had a great time. Red Hat Summit, OpenStack Summit, both excellent conferences, both a lot of fun. Whole lot of summits. Indeed, okay. I got to see lots of Fenway. Lots. Of, yeah, that's right. You guys did a Fenway Park pack. I'm not going to do. I'm terrible at it too. Fenway Park thing. Um, and you saw, I guess there was a giant NetApp ad on the on the billboard. I saw there was. It was actually a pretty interesting one as well. Um, I don't remember the exact saying, but I remember giggling at it when I saw it. Something it about, was pretty good. Yeah, yeah something about sleeping like a baby. Yeah, it was so good that I can't remember it, but it was good. I can. I remember that much. It was. I'm actually wearing my OpenStack Summit shirt now. That's good. Like a boss. All right. Enough about that. Enough about you. Let's talk about uh, migration. Oh. And on tap. Uh, on the phone today, we have Mr. Hadrian Barron of the CDOT migration team. Uh, hi, Hadrian. Hey, hey. So, if you could give us your official title and sort of the things you do around here at NetApp. Um, I'm a global solutions architect, and what I do all day is think about how to migrate um, from customers running on third party arrays, you know, EMC, Hitachi, HP and also helping customers migrate from 7-mode, right, legacy, on tap over to, you know, on tap 9, doing it in small scale, but mostly at large scale. So big, big project planning, making sure we have the right tools, making sure we're hitting all the right business requirements. How many migrations would you say you've done, roughly? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I kind of lost track a few years back. I've been doing this for about eight years. So Is it over five? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's way more than five. So, yeah, I've been on the technical side, uh, field consultant, um, doing migrations for the first four years of that, and then working on large-scale architecture, large-scale migration project planning for, for big enterprises after that. So a lot of lessons learned. Fun fact, Hadrian, I think, didn't you used to be a customer? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, did. I, was I see and remember the... that. You, you were calling into support and actually got some of your cases, if you don't remember <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah. I do. And that was one of the best things joining that up was going into the support center and getting all the the people throwing things at me because I was one of those those people calling in and and having fun on escalation calls. He was. He was a very challenging customer. He knew a, he, he knew a lot. He knew a lot of stuff. 
So what I'm hearing is yeah. probably from his perspective, you are a very challenging support person. No, I think what happened was when he heard me on the phone, he just hung up. It's like, yeah, I got to go. <laughs> My problem's not no, that important. You, know, you, you call in and you get that. Oh, it's Justin. All right. I can Now I can sleep like a baby. <laughs> hey, there we go. Full circle. All right. So um, in general, when you're migrating a bunch of data from one place to another, it is going to be challenging. So if you could give us a little bit of a rundown about how the migration team has been solving some of those challenges for customers and how they're making migrations from, you know, X competitor to us easier. Sure. Yeah, so, I mean, moving bits from any place, you know, any source, any destination, it's generally the, you know, the same uh, story, whether it's from 7Mode to ONTAP 9 or from EMC to NetApp. The, you know, there's a lot of change control and late nights for cutovers because, you know, in us in IT, we have to, or, you know, we're always trying to work around our end user schedules. So that is really, you know, the big pain. Otherwise, after that, it's just knowing about what the, uh, you know, what's going to be different from your source to your destination. How am I going to manage it? All those kind of things, you know, how do I monitor it? How do I, what features do I use? How does it map over? So what we've been doing over the past few years is helping customers um, check those kind of feature mappings. Am I using, say, uh, SnapLock on the source? Do I have, you know, SnapLock on the target? If not, we better, you know, turn that on, bring over your retention level data, things like that. And, you know, now we're, we're doing it for, uh, third-party migrations as well, because we, you know, we know that customers want to take advantage of some of the cool new stuff in ONTAP 9, that they're coming from old EMC environment, and um, they are asking the same kind of questions that we saw with 7Mode to ONTAP 9. So when you do an evaluation, are you doing this all by hand, or are you automating it somehow? No, we, I mean, <laughs> we can't scale and, and do them all around the world all by hand. So we, we have a, a fair bit of tooling. We use uh, Unified Parser. That's a, a great tool that will do all the pre-checks for a 7-mode to ONTAP 9, as well as some, some cool tools that we've, we've built in for Isilon that will go and, and check through their licensing and all that. And, and we continue to build these kind of toolings into our new NetApp One Collect, right, which is that, that main data collection aggregation tool that, that uh, we've been pushing out this year. Well, I've been helping push out for the third-party array analysis. So it, it'll pull all the data, SSH, call it, and uh, show us how the source is configured all in one spot. So you're not having to go and dig up, well, what was that VNX command that, that showed this or that? All in one spot. Is this all publicly available, or is this just stuff available to you guys? Uh, Unified Parser is, you know, is definitely available to anyone with a NetApp login. And then OneCollect is on the tool chest. For the third-party plugins, those um, are still being, uh, you know, trying to get added in there. So for now, just ask your account team, and, and they'll send it over. Excellent. So when you do a, an analysis, are you also analyzing the file structures as well as the options? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So um, there's kind of two parts of it, right? So with, with any migration, you know, say this is like a NAS migration we maybe we're talking about, uh, we want to know how many shares there are, how many SIF shares, how, how much of it is multi-protocol, you know, both SIFs and NFS at the same time on the same share. You know, that's, that's obviously the first step of knowing what is my source and what is going to be the target 
then after that, sometimes we'll go and, and understand how many files it is or um, if it's a really deep structure and it took a long time to migrate it to where it is sitting right now, how might we break things up or how might we clean up, right? Sometimes customers don't want to move, you know, 20-year-old NAS data, you know, to a really expensive, um, you know, all flash disk, right? So they might go and, and try to split things out. So when we do that, we use a tool called NetApp XCP. So we've built XCP in-house. There's some really cool uh, proprietary technology in there that will uh, massively parallelize the job scans, right? Walking the file system of the NAS environment and go and show you who's the top owners, you know, how old is the data, when was it last accessed, you know, how much of the data hasn't been touched in, you know, two years or whatever. So then they can go and decide, well, you know what, let's not migrate that, you know, that two-year-old or that 10-year-old data over. Or let's, you know, move off some of this stuff to some other, you know, slower disk. Yeah, and that's actually a scan, not, not an actual co copy. So you can actually do it before you move anything and get an idea of what you have before you start moving it around, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. So XCP um, scans are, are really valuable for knowing. Sometimes when, say, we look at an isolon environment, maybe they're not paying for quotas, I know. Um, sometimes you, they used to have to buy quotas. But, um, you know, knowing how big it is first is, is one of the keys. And then after that, uh, knowing, you know, what, what is the structure within it so we can decide, you know, does this make sense to stick it on a flex volume? Does it make sense to stick it on a flex group if it's really big? And so on and so forth. All right. So you actually said the magic word there, flex group. <laughs> My ears perked up. <laughs> You, you like those, huh? I like those. They're pretty nifty. Uh, so how are you uh, migrating to FlexGroup these days? Is, is the process any different from FlexVol? It, it's not super different, right? At the end of the day, um, it's a NetApp, you know, volume that gets presented up over, um, you know, SIFS or NFS, just like a FlexVol. So the, the process is generally XCP uh, for when we're moving really large data sets because it is really, really fast at moving millions and millions of files in, in one cutover. So um, the numbers we like to use are just to baseline it against rsync, right? Because it is kind of a Linux type of tool, a lot of same kind of feel for the syntax as rsync, but 23 times faster copies than rsync or 40 times faster copies than some other kind of more pricier uh, production offerings of, you know, third-party migration tools. So it is, you know, the real de facto standard that we use when migrating to flex groups. Otherwise, um, any other NAS migration tool will, will also do the job if you want something with like a more robust GUI or, you know, job scheduling, blackout windows, stuff like that. Um, all the other migration tools would do it. Uh, Data Dynamics, StorageX, we do quite a bit of work with, have been doing for many years. Now they're back to Quest, right? Remember those guys, Quest Software? Oh, yeah, Quest. Yeah, so now that, you know, it's not Dell anymore, hey, we like Secure Copy, too. Yeah. Uh, so those are, you know, some of our main ones that are the ones that people know about, and, and we've been doing migrations with Flex, you know, to Flex Groups with them for, for a while. So you mentioned StorageX, and actually they've just added official support for Flex Group, right? They can now recognize them and see them? Yeah, yeah, they have some really awesome NetApp and 
uh, other array integration, right? So they'll go in API column and, and say, hey, show me all the exports, show me all the volumes. They'll do some of the automated provisioning for you. That is a real enterprise tool to kind of shave off the time it takes to, to go and build things. So, you know, StorageX is, is that, that tool that we like to use when, you know, people want a really robust GUI, people want, you know, maybe multi-site migrations all from one central pane of glass. That is a fantastic tool to do that. So as far as XCP goes, do I have to pay for that? <laughs> yeah, good question. So XCP is free, right? Um, you can go and uh, log into their site, xcp.netapp.com. If you have a NetApp account and a target serial number, then you can go and grab the bits and it'll generate you a key. And... Um, go to town, you know, use it a lot. Of, even Linux administrators that might not be on the storage side, they end up loving it, right? Because it's orders of magnitude faster than doing something like a DU or a find or, uh, you know, all these kind of normal Linux sysadmin type of things that we need to do, moving subdirectories here to there. Um, it gets to be really handy for those situations. So one of the big success stories we have with XCP is, you know, after doing a humongous migration with it, the customer said, hey, can we use this for e-discovery? Because nothing else scans, you know, our petabytes of NAS this fast. Hey, why not? And so they ended up using it for that use case too. So kind of a niche, but just give an example of how it can be leveraged in different ways. Yeah, and you mentioned a, a license key. Essentially, is it's just a tracking license to so that we know you know where it's being used and how it's being used. But still, it's a free license, so you don't have to worry about that when you do get a license. License does expire from time to time, so you have to go renew it. Um, but yeah, check it out if you're interested. Uh, if you're, and it's mostly NFS v three right now. Uh, they're actually adding support for SMB pretty soon. So stay tuned for that. So let's talk about the migration team and how we would get engaged. If I, if, if I were a customer or maybe a sales rep or somebody that wanted to get involved with you guys, how would we go about that? Yeah, so um, we're, we're part of a, a larger team called the Storage Transformation Group. And, you know, it's all about helping customer get to that next-gen data center in all things, right? Not just migration, but the whole operational aspect of it, you know, learning how to take advantage of new technologies, things like that. So uh, if there is some kind of question around, you know, how will the migration happen, you know, absolutely reach out to uh, the partner, you know, that we're working with or the account team, that app account team, and just say, hey, we want one of these transition assessments. And, and we'll go in, we can um, go in and dig into the, into the source array and, you know, pull some reports and learn about it and go in and show it back to you at a high level, show you something hopefully you haven't seen before, and also how to migrate to where we're trying to get to, right? On tap nine or solid fire or cloud, right? We, you know, we've been doing some of those types of assessments as well. So a lot of our guys are, you know, cloud certified and, you know, gurus that should be going to OpenStack world too. Andrew, I'm kind of jealous. I, I got nothing. <laughs> that's, that's generally his response for things. He's got nothing. I want to come back with a fake Boston accent, too. Yeah, except it can't get any worse than mine, so I still got that going for me. It's true. Yeah. So, yeah, so just um, reach out, ask for a NetApp Transition Solutions Assessment, and um, we'll, we'll get going and, and turn it around in a few business days. So generally they're, they're pretty quick to, to deliver. Sometimes when it's like a very large-scale um, migration and there might be multiple phases, 
right, saying, well, we have to migrate from this array first, um, and then that array, and then this third array, and, you know, what order should I do it in, or, you know, how should I attack this, then we can go, you know, in depth more than just an assessment, but doing a transition strategy. So a lot of times, you know, the bigger customers that are trying to, you know, swap out a data center or something like that will need, you know, some more, some more love. And I got a lot of love this year. I'm in Vegas, so. So um, as far as getting uh, an assessment, is that something that we have to pay for for the assessment and then we pay for the transition services or do we get the assessment for free? How does that work? Yeah, great question. So um, this is really, um, you know, not a paid thing. It's not a professional services engagement where you have to pay a consultant. Um, you know, or, although a lot of us are ex-consultants or architects, uh, we're on the pre-sales side. So um, these are all kind of, you know, pro bono for the customer. Um, once the deal books and, you know, you need help actually cutting over or, you know, pushing that cutover button or setting up the migration jobs, we'll um, be working with our professional services team or partner professional services or, or nowadays a lot of our migration expertise kind of centrally located in our global solutions delivery center, right? So these are um, either in the U.S. or abroad. We have you know, teams that are, are just focused on doing certain migration skill sets like um, EMC to NetApp with foreign line import or Isilon to NetApp with XCP. And so they're building all their own post-sales processes to go and, and reduce risk in the migration, help you guys get going faster. So as far as Isilon and migrating over to us, um, one of the challenges I see a lot as a TME for NAS is the multi-protocol challenge, right? Being able to map users from Unix-style security to NTFS-style security and vice versa. How is the transition team making that particular portion of that easier for customers? Yeah, that's I see it too, right? And a lot of times it's just mostly due to people being unfamiliar with how multi-protocol is set up right now versus how it might be in their future, right? So if they're new to NetApp, then they're wondering, hey, how does, you know, how does NetApp do it? Do they you know, fake a UID um, like the Isilon does it? Or you know, how does it look compared to my VNX or my Solera? So the, um, this is really just a, like that operational thing. So the you know the first thing that we do is we you know make it really clear here at NetApp um, most multi-protocol situations they will um, they'll be making sure that you have a user mapping right and when there's not a user mapping then we will go and default to that guest user right that default Windows or default Unix user and then after that um, we you know we leverage the implicit name mapping. So if you have an AD account that is, say, Hadrian, then I'm going to go and look up an LDAP for the same Unix UID. So the key thing is to know that mixed mode and, and kind of the, the oddball you know, multi-protocol setups are 99% time not needed. Right? Most customers can, can be fine just choosing one target ACL, right? whether it's NTFS or mode bits with Unix, and then main mapping from there. This is all your area of expertise. I don't That's know. I don't know any of this stuff. <laughs> why I'm sitting here what quietly. Is this, what is this multi-protocol yeah. mixed mode stuff? The, the NIFs. The NIFs. Yeah. The NIFs. The yeah. NIFs. So we help customers um, 
you know, understand that that key point, right? That just because it's mixed on the source doesn't mean that it needs to be mixed on the target. So really at the end of the day, it most customers just want to get at their data, right? They don't necessarily, you know, like an end user that's sitting in HR is not thinking like, you know what, it'd be great if this one file had both Munich permissions and NTFS permissions because that makes life really easy for the administrator um, and for me too. They oh, really Gladys just and want HR? You mean, you mean Gladys and HR? <laughs> yeah. They, you know, they don't – no one kind of starts their day thinking like that, and yet these environments kind of end up like this when they're on EMC. And so really that's the key message is to say, you know what, as long as they can get at the data, they can edit it, they can delete what they need to delete if they're allowed, then that is that is step one. So in, you know, in certain situations where, say, I have an, an isolon and I have one share and I have um, – and I want to move that to one share on the target onto NetApp, then – uh, some of it will be Unix permissions, some of it will be SIFS permissions. So what we do is we'll do one of those file scans, right, with XCP scan or storage, you know, Data Dynamic Storage X has another file insight tool, which is great for this, and go and look at, you know, what is all the data in here, which ones of it needs to be NTFS, and then we'll migrate those specifically. So usually the migration tool that you choose is going to lay down the permissions based on the OS it's running. Yeah, the way I always like to explain it is when, when you're dealing with mixed security style, um, and like, like you mentioned, you don't normally need it. And I think the reason why people get confused with it is because they think mixed means both NFS and SIFs, and they get that terminology conflated. Um, and I think that's partially our fault for naming it mixed, but I digress. Um, so, so, I mean, you know, mixed is just the security style, allows you to toggle in between effective security styles of Unix or NTFS, depending on who has taken ownership the last time. So normally you don't need that because you don't need to go between security styles. And like you said, most people only care about how they get to their data if they have access to it. Um, in most cases, if you're in a Windows environment, you use Windows security because you want to use what's familiar to you. You want to be able to set it from the GUI, use the properties tab and all that stuff. Uh, normally Unix styles reserved for the people that want to you know, write applications and have applications writing to data. Uh, stores like, you know, NFS shares and that sort of thing. So you worry more about the security style for that in those cases. But in general, you pick one, you stick with it, you're good to go. Uh, name mappings become a challenge because when you come from those other environments, things are usually a mess because they haven't had to manage certain things because, you know, sometimes you're given shortcuts to fix things that are problems in your infrastructure and we're just basically putting a Band-Aid on it from the storage perspective. And when you come to NetApp, you have to kind of rejiggered a little bit to get it into a, a working state to where you're doing it the right way and that you're not opening up security holes by allowing access to things where you maybe shouldn't. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And, you know, a lot of times customers are worried about opening up permissions or really at the end of the day, how do the permissions come over? Um, so there's two ports of it, right? So one of them is maintaining control and making sure there's no data leakage. And then the other one is uh, making sure the apps and, and business processes still work. So that's, you know, maintaining control and, and data leakage is, is key, but that's really controlled through the export permission or the SIF share permission, kind of at that gatekeeper level. After that, the ACLs are within the share. That's really about who can, who can touch what, what process or what UID can do what. So... Um, ripping that Band-Aid off, you know, say for Isilon, which emulates, um, will just invent kind of fake UIDs for NTFS users if it doesn't see that name mapping. 
it can be a real challenge. And the sooner that the Band-Aid comes off, um, the better life will be, you know, for the long duration. In having an administrator, you know, an IT team to be able to easily support the customer. Andrew's over here drooling. I think we've lost him. You all right, Andrew? Should we talk about containers? Will that make you feel better? I, I, I'm doing good. I'm learning all kinds of stuff okay, over here. Good. I, I thought I was a little worried about you. No, I'm also having slightly. Uh, I'm having flashbacks to way back when when I was uh, a storage slash Unix slash oh, VMware yeah. administrator and and fighting those fights of you know having mixed mode and what that means for oh well the last time somebody touched this it was with a Linux system right which means that it's now owned by Linux which means that trying to re-permission or trying to do these things on the Windows side isn't going to work and it was a three year long battle at the customer that I worked at to finally get to having either Windows or NTFS, right, or the Unix-style permission sets configured correctly. And, and after that, life was calm, right, for NAS, right? And that's, you know, that's really what the goal is, right? We, as storage teams, shouldn't be having to think about what permission is this or that. Um, we just want to let, you know, let the data get access the way it needs to, but not worry about, well, is it this mode bits or is it this NTFS cycle? Let the end users kind of get their job done and that's it. So, well, and, and more importantly, it became transparent to the end users, right? They stopped having to think about it instead, just use, right, access things the way that they needed to access them. And, you know, I, I most commonly use my Windows desktop, but occasionally I access it from Linux. And once everything is configured correctly and all that mixed mode, wonkiness wonkiness is a bad word but all the all the quirks that are introduced right when you're using it that way are um, mitigated right and then it it works the way that they expect yeah when you're trying to troubleshoot something that's always changing good luck right i think about if you went out to your car every day and each day you went out to your car the steering wheel was on the opposite side (laughs) that's mixed mode right you don't. You have to learn a new way to drive every day. You're either on the left side or the right side of the road. So, uh, if you've ever tried to drive on the opposite side of the road, wherever you are in the world, um, you know that it's it's not always intuitive. It takes a little bit of practice, and then by the time you figured out how to do it, if it flips back over to the other side again, now you got to go back and figure it out again. Yeah, I mean that being said, I can see where it's enticing, right? Particularly if we're talking about somebody who has multiple responsibilities, right? The proverbial wears multiple hats, of you know, I want to put as little thought into this as pro- as possible so that way I can just get going and up and running. And, I mean, I've seen things like uh, I saw a, a customer who had deployed everything into a single volume. They had LUNs. They had VMware data stores. They had SIF shares. They had everything running out of a single volume because it worked. And why do I need to create multiple volumes? I can just keep putting stuff more stuff in here and just expand the size of the volume. Oh, I'm out of space now. That's why. So... <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was uh, so. What finally broke this? You know, the straw that broke that camel's back was uh, recovery. They accidentally deleted the uh, volume. Yeah. Oops! And uh, learned the lesson the hard way. That is putting all your eggs in one basket, as the parable the, um, goes. Yeah. Yeah. At at the end of the day, right? The you know the two keys for success on a migration are, um, you know, in terms of planning. Right? Planning is is that really important thing to do before you just start moving bits. So the first one is to understand, you know, what do we have, right? How many shares is it? How big are they? Um, what type of data? Who accesses it? 
Um, and most, you know, storage administrators can kind of eyeball this stuff and they'll know. Um, but like you said, when you have a jack of all trades, maybe they have to kind of dig into it. But that is a really valuable time spent. Um, and then after that, understanding how um, we're going to lay it out on the target, whether it's all in one volume, maybe like a flex group, or multiple volumes or flex groups and flex balls on the same box. You can do that, right, Justin? Yes, you can do it on the same SVM. <laughs> yep, same SVM even. So um, after that, the other key is, especially for NAS migrations, you know, SAM has this perception that it's like really crazy hard, but with foreign loan import being free on box um, and online migrations, um, they are really trivial. Um, with NAS, we have to do things like make sure um, authentication is working really well, right? Making sure my name mapping is working really well. So um, making sure the target system is healthy is one of those, you know, key milestones that we always look for um, before we do that, that first cutover. And that's why we always recommend doing a pilot migration or, you know, new storage requests go to the new platform, making sure that, you know, that greenfield environment is healthy before we go in and cut over, you know, Gladys and HR's, you know, departmental file share. We don't want to make HR angry, so we want those big cutovers to be seamless, right, which is why we test up front. So aside from the technical aspect of, you know, literally moving the data and, you know, moving the connections from old to new, do you see any issues? Uh, do you encounter issues with tool sets, tool chains that have been built up around you know the old system? You know, regardless of whether it was you know NetApp Seven mode or anything else, right? And are there any any tools or processes in place in order to assist that? You know, I'm thinking automation tools, right, or capacity management tools, change management tools, etc. Yeah, that's um, absolutely that's part of that whole ecosystem of you know beyond the array. What else is there? Um, that needs updating. So automation and like hard-coded IPs, stuff like that are, you know, oftentimes what, what we'll go and, and start thinking about. And really that, that comes to, you know, what is this data that's moving? You know, are there applications that are accessing it? So, you know, sooner or later, if you have some history on your IT team, someone will be like, yeah, you know what, there is some some uh, programs that are touching this, and they might have the really old name of, you know, 10 filers ago uh, hard-coded in there. So those are, you know, that's kind of on the technical front that needs to be handled, you know, bringing over those names, those IPs, uh, C names, and all that. But uh, for automation, we do this quite a bit, and we see it in customers that have um, been leveraging automation for a while, that they have a, a way that their data flow works, and it needs to be updated, uh, whether it's in Perl or PowerShell or with WFA. So uh, we have teams of development, you know, development consultants that help out with this on a regular basis, right? Global Services, uh, Global Solutions Delivery Center helps out with that and um, can help retool your environment. So beyond the automation part, making sure that, um, like we said, the storage environment's healthy, the target environment's healthy. So standing up new monitoring, making sure that um, we're monitoring the same things that we wanted to in the past, that we're monitoring based on, you know, new business requirements. Say we're moving from a VMAX, right, and we had latency alerts at, you know, five milliseconds. 
but we're going to flash. So we'd have to maybe rethink that, say, well, you know, we're, we're taking advantage of some new tech, so let's, let's reduce that latency alert down to one millisecond or, or whatever it needs to be to make sure that the business is happy with the migration and, and that the storage team knows when there's going to be a challenge. Yeah, I don't think that the five millisecond latency alert would be very good for an all-flash system. That would be very quiet. In fact, I don't know that anyone would even notice. You know, they just kind of be like, wow, this is really good. I like this. This is nice. This is different. Maybe that's the point. Yeah, knowing how the, you know, the source is performing is kind of key, right? And that's what we see a lot of the times. Uh, you know, say you have an Isilon environment and, you know, there's too many small files, right, or a lot of random I.O., and, you know, there's just pain there. So sometimes those, you know, there's this expectation of pain on the target as well. So, you know, we have to make that decision, you know, are we going to migrate those really important but, you know, unhealthy applications first? Um, what we always generally say is do that pilot migration and then, you know, get that, that uh, comfortable feeling. Don't rush into it, right? This, you know, this is all pretty straightforward processes, but um, we are dealing with, you know, real business, right? So um, that, that kind of recalls, you know, back when I was a customer, we had um, just bought a new system and, and our, you know, main site was, was slow, right? And so we're trying to migrate the production DB first. So, you know, we had to, you know, put the brakes on, do our testing, get it stood up, get it monitored, right? Production readiness, right? Because we're professionals and, and storage is a key infrastructure for almost all things IT nowadays. So after that, we, we gave the green light and we brought it over and everyone was high-fiving. So those are, those are the good days after migration. Yeah. Just don't do it on a Friday. <laughs> We're done. So um, yeah. what about copy-free transition? Are you guys seeing that a lot? Are you dealing with it a lot in your group? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we see it on and off. The um, copy-free transition is an interesting capability that, that we brought out for seven-mode customers, right? So that's the idea that um, I always kind of think of it like that movie Dune, right? I'm, I'm moving without moving, right? I'm moving the shelves. I'm doing a migration without copying bits over the wire. So we just pull the <clears> – <throat> during the maintenance window, we'll unplug the shelves from – the seven mode environment and plug it into the CDOT system, our automation tool seven and PT will go and um, do all the API work to, you know, mount the volumes, provision the exports, all those stuff. So those are really useful for, you know, a few big use cases, right? The first one is the source environment is just um, overwhelmed a bit and, you know, adding snap mirror onto that load is not a good idea or the amount of data is huge and um, it would take a long time to move it. Say I have like 40 shelves. Um, and then the final use case is obviously, I have 40 shelves on the source and I don't wanna buy 40 shelves on the target. Can I just bring them over and leverage that, that past investment? And the answer is yes, right? So that's, that's where we see it being done. So it's a you know, it's pretty well polished um, solution actually one of those things that you know you kind of hit next next finish like with 7mpt 7 mode transition tool we've been doing for years um that is just you know another example where we just want to do the planning up front do we have the right cable links all that stuff so that cutover window goes smooth 
Yeah, with copy-free transition, you also minimize your maintenance window or your cutover window, right? So basically cutting over to your new system. In addition to that, when you want to start moving those workloads to different uh, disks, like let's say you, you moved all your spinning drives over using CFT, later on you added some Flash shelves and you want to move your production databases over to Flash. Well, guess what? You have non-disruptive volume move now, so you're minimizing that disruption even further because you don't have to worry about taking an outage just to move your workloads over to the faster disk. Yeah, absolutely. So we do see that quite a bit with CFTs as people kind of want to move things around, um, whether it's, you know, to a new SVM saying, okay, well, this Oracle data, um, you know, we want to delegate control of it to the Oracle team, um, you know, move things into their own SVM and then move it, you know, move the volumes over to a flash tier. All that stuff gets to be done uh, hot, right, which is cool. So, um, during that, you know, during that maintenance window, moving things between SVMs, obviously, we have to go and, you know, take a short downtime, right? Because the lifts will change, whether it's a WWPN or an IP. Um, the way they get at that data through a different SVM is is different, obviously. But um, that we kind of reserve for in the, you know, right after the copy-free transition is done, we'll kind of reorganize things the way the customer wants it to see, where they they want us leverage it for the next few years going forward, and then we'll bring it all online and QA it. Okay. So um, as far as flex groups go, let's go back to that. How much are you seeing that come up in conversations now? I mean, are you seeing an uptick in it? I know I'm seeing a lot of questions about it, but I'm the flex group team, so I, I should be seeing those questions. But as someone who works in migration services, um, how are you seeing the uptick with that? Yeah, a lot. I mean, I think flex groups is, you know, something that customers have been waiting for for a long time at, you know, and you people that don't have humongous data sets might say, you know, do you really have data sets that are, you know, 100T or 400 terabytes, you know, bigger than a flexible limit? Um, and the answer is, you know, yes, right? Uh, there are customers that have humongous uh, environments or, or on the other hand, they have customers that like their, you know, Andrew's a guy who had one volume and he didn't want to manage it. So when the data growth rate is really high and they're kind of looking at that 100 terabyte FlexVol ceiling with some unease, then FlexGroup is is um, a cool option. So right now we see it a lot in Isilon migrations where Isilon is just, um, you know, not keeping up with the demand, you know, customers wanting to run big workloads faster, get their jobs done faster. They'll um, they'll look at migrating to flex groups, and we've done a few of those with XCP. Um, other times, it's you know slow storage or archival stuff, and they just want a humongous that one big container target system. So, you know, flex groups has kind of been an eye opener for a lot of customers to say, wow. You know, this is really an option. And NetApp used to rule this uh, space, you know, back just a few years ago. Um, but with Isilon's 1FS, they came out with something pretty cool. But now with um, big performance and, um, you know, all the enterprise capabilities you kind of get with, with ONTAP, um, it's, it's a real game changer. Yeah, and I mean, you talked about large data structures, you know, over 100 terabytes and that sort of thing. It's not just for that. I mean, it's for things that are smaller. You can split up those workloads across multiple flex balls and get advantages for performance on you know volumes as small as twenty terabytes, right? So you, you yeah. can definitely split it up that way. 
Yeah, we that was kind of one of the big eye openers for me was, you know, we had a customer that was an Isilon customer and they were, you know, trying to get some, you know, some pro- business processes done faster. So they were kind of comparing their Isilon. They had, you know, one of those early, you know, all flash Isilons and they had uh, a CDOT system, right, running 9 or 9.1, I forget which. And they were testing it between Isilon FlexVols and Flex Group. And the crazy thing to me was for the same two-node head, right, cluster, NetApp HA pair, that the Flex Groups were giving orders of magnitude faster performance than the Flex Vaults would, right? And that was kind of just blew my mind was, you know, that's the real difference, right? It's not just the big container, but the way that they designed the Flex Groups. And you know more about this maybe than I do, but it kind of lets the IOs thread out really nicely on the on the waffle right on data on tap. Yeah, it basically takes advantage of the CPU affinities on the nodes. So you're able to spread that out across multiple affinities. With a FlexVol, when you're doing metadata operations, you're basically single-threaded to a CPU. So you want to try to spread that out as much as possible. Then you get more efficient use of your hardware. And then when you start scaling out across nodes, then you can start having a true scale-out file system as opposed to a single-node entity like a FlexVol. Yeah, the thing that's... um you know, that's kind of the, the new age of IT right now is these analytical workloads. And we as storage administrators might not think about it a whole lot other than saying, well, this volume is always high I.O. Um, but there are certain data sets, and it's not just like when I'm designing a circuit board. Um, it's everyone are doing these kind of big data analytics, and a lot of times they're over NAS protocol. Um, whether I'm a retail store and I'm looking at my sales trending data or, um, you know, all kinds of use cases for this now. Everyone's trying to take advantage of big data. And so we have to remember that we have an IT tools that we can bring up and say, hey, if this jobs, you know, if these jobs, these analytical jobs could get done, you know, 50% faster, what would that mean? Right, and that's that's that idea of saying, hey, what do I have on my source environment? I'm planning on migrating it, and how will I lay it out on the target? You know, should I be taking advantage of some of these technologies? Because we, you know, in IT, we can't be seen as a cost center. Everyone will just migrate it to cloud, right? So we need to be bringing in that kind of consultative attitude in looking at, you know, how can I bring a big value to my business? Flex Groups is one of those ways that. I see us doing that. You know, we talked a lot about NAS migrations, but SAN migrations are um, a big, a big thing that people have to do often, especially with you know workloads that are requiring Flash, right? So your your Oracle environments, your SAP environments, your MS SQL, you know, these big, highly transactional types of data um, need to be coming over SAN protocol. So XCP, things like that can be used, right? If you install them on a server that has access to that LUN, but oftentimes we're, we're leveraging, you know, something like foreign LUN import, which is, comes with data on tap. It's just built into the OS. So, um, I've been involved in a few multi petabyte migrations with FLI as well as little ones, but, um, it really is, uh, kind of a fantastic way to help customers you know, do migrations themselves, right? There's an automation pack on our automation store for foreign land import, or it's a pretty uh, straightforward, you know, UI at the command, uh, at the command line. 
And um, it's, you know, it's big thing is that it'll do online migration. So the NetApp ends up being uh, front-ending someone else's LUN, whether it's on a VMAX or an HP 3PAR or whatever. So you put the NetApp in the path, it can start um, copying the data in the background. Host thinks it's talking to a NetApp. And um, you can just take off the old LUN, you know, off the VMAX or whomever it's on in the background later on without a second outage, right? So you really have that one reboot to get the NetApp in the path. You do your rezoning, and then uh, your migration is almost done. It's pretty cool. All right, Hadrian, thanks so much for joining us and talking about migration. Um, we, we covered a lot of ground here. We talked about NAS. We talked about SAN. We talked about XCP, Flex Groups. I mean, what what more could you ask for? Why did you sound so excited about flex groups there? Um, it's in my contract. Oh, oh. <laughs> I I get paid by buzzword, so. So I actually have it written in there. You know, I have to say it with a certain exuberance, and I get I get royalty. Nice, nice. Uh, of zero, I, I need zero dollars per. Apparently, per I need to renegotiate mention. then. <laughs> zero dollars. Anyway, so, Hadrian, uh, thanks for joining us. If anyone wanted to get in touch with you f- to talk about uh, migrations or how to get into involved with the CDOT migration, how would they do that? Um, just hit me up. I have, you know, over email is fine with me, hadrian at netapp.com. One of, one of the two over here, but I, I get the one with the first name. Whoa, there's two Hadrians here? There is. It's and not like the Highlander I, where what? there can be only one? There's, I thought that for a long time, but... Go and figure. I met the other one just last week over here in Vegas. So, amazing world we live in. So, so when you met him, did you have your sword and you're ready to take him out? And then you like had a beer I, and you guys were like, "Hey, you're really cool. I can't, I can't take you out. It's like Sean Connery." I, I, I thought of it, but yeah, just like Sean Connery and the younger Highlander, we became friends. It's good. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert: we just, we just gave away the Highlander ending. Sorry, guys. Sorry. If you haven't seen it Wait, yet, wasn't he a ghost? <laughs> I think so. I don't know. I think they pulled his mask off, and he's actually old man Withers. <laughs> no, wait, that's Scooby Doo. Never mind. <laughs> anyway, all right. That music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, or via techontechpodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Hadrian Barron of the uh, CDOT migration team. Thanks for listening. Migrations, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who knew? I'm excited. Hey, does, does anybody actually leave us reviews? Have we ever looked? Occasionally, yeah. They send us emails. Um, and then on the SoundCloud, it's usually a review of... I couldn't understand what Is so-and-so was saying. getting off on this? That's oh, review. yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. And then sometimes people hit hit like. They hit the little heart. And I don't mean if they love love us or they just like love us. It's the advantage of having a binary system. You either really love us or really hate That's us. Right.